0: Farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbro Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over forty years.
1: Good morning. There's a bit of good news this week around autumn muck spreading.
2: So where we are today is in essence what the industry was calling for, which was to allow the autumn use of all manure types but with suitable restrictions in order to protect the environment, obviously.
1: And as Easter approaches to make sure there's no falling out, what advice for visitors and farmers?
0: For many, there's no better place than the Great British countryside, but everyone needs to remember that the countryside is a working
1: environment. We'll get crop, livestock and grain market reports, the result of the recent urea consultation, and see what the weather holds in store for the week ahead.
3: The Week in Agriculture.
1: This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, I am that Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good week. It was certainly chilly and windy stood in one of Andrew Ward's fields near Lednam last Wednesday for his excellent direct drilling day, which we'll talk about next week on the programme. First today, let's look back at the recently concluded Sugar Beet campaign with British Sugar's Tessa Seymour. Tessa, it has to be said we had a bit of a sticky start at Newark, but how did the campaign pan out?
4: Well, we have finally closed our gates uh, at Newark on Wednesday afternoon so thank you very, very much to all of our growers, harvesters and hauliers, and our partners who continue to support and work with us through a really difficult campaign. Um, so we are aware there was a lot uh, of disruptions caused this year at the Newark factory. But we please be assured the teams are working really hard on various maintenance and capital projects to ensure that next campaign goes
1: smoothly. OK. And the actual campaign in terms of yield, sugar content, dirt tear and so on, how did that pan out?
4: So it was it was actually a really good crop coming in this campaign. So we had an average of just below 17.5% for sugar content. Our Dirt Tears were on average of about 5%. And we finished the campaign with an average yield of about 80%, which is pretty much in line um, with the average of all the factories. So a good crop. We we saw some good stuff
1: this year. And how does that compare? I mean, we had a difficult year the previous year, so we we must be better numbers this year, surely.
4: Much better. Much better. Yes. So um, it's good. You know, the weather's been kind to us. We had a good um, cold last winter and all that's had a good knock on effect
1: on the yield. And now the campaign's come to an end. What actually happens in Newark uh, during the summer?
4: Um, they're not putting their feet up, I can assure you of that. (laughs) Um, They will already be starting uh, work on various maintenance projects. There'll be capital projects that'll be going on as well. Um, And also, um, going forward, we want to continue to listen to the concerns and shape solutions to mitigate the issues and impacts uh, across our supply chains. So, um, that will include not only looking at capital investment programmes, but also we'll look at the technology and data that we need to capture that will help to reform planning. So, it's really important for us to get everyone's views um, and make sure that we're hearing back uh, where the the
1: issues are, um, and that we're developing solutions with our growers and our industry partners. What's the best way for somebody to get that feedback to you, Tessa?
4: So they can um, either get hold of me directly, or they should speak to their contract managers, or they can phone through to Grower Services. Every single grower would have had an email, ask them to participate, but they should just keep feeding in because you know, as we're learning, um, it's it's a journey we all need to go on together.
1: And how's the new crop going in so far?
4: It's going okay. The weather, again, still has been kind. So touch wood, it remains that way. We're getting to the end of the week, about 75% drilled around Newark area. All being well, um, we'll be finished up pretty soon.
1: Good, good. All right, Tessa, well, thanks for that. You've obviously got uh, the the rest of the summer off now until September. (laughs) So uh, have a nice holiday (laughs) for the next four months
4: i work on my tan, Steve. Thanks very much. <laughs> but no, thank you so much to, to everybody for supporting us through this campaign and um, be safe drilling.
1: Lovely. Thanks a lot. Tessa Seymour from British Sugar. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Steve. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Before we turn to some Easter visitor advice, I must just congratulate Lincolnshire Farmer and friend of The Farming Programme, Charles Anion, for completing the Manchester Marathon in around 3 hours 40 and raising over £3,000 for the Farming Community Network in the process. Brilliant work. And I should be hoping for your support when I do the Mad May Marathon for LRSN. More on that next week. Easter is upon us then, bringing more visitors to the countryside. And welcome though they are, there are some sensible rules that need to be followed. The CLA's Kath Crowther explains.
0: For many, there's no better place than the Great British Countryside to go out and visit and reap the physical and mental health benefits to visit rural communities and open spaces. But everyone needs to remember that the countryside is a working environment. We need to make sure that everyone sticks to public footpaths, follows instructions on signs, closes gates that were closed before they went through them, leave them open if they were open and make sure that they keep dogs on leads, especially at this time of year when we're in lambing
1: season mm. it's interesting you talk about leaving gates open that were open with the the sort of advice has always been go through a gate shut it behind you but not necessarily because that gate could be open for a reason couldn't it
0: exactly so if there's animals in the field and they haven't got access to water in that field then often the gate will be left open so they can access water in the next field so if it's open before you then it could be for that reason so so leave it open.
1: And as you say dogs on leads even though it might look a perfectly safe environment let the dog go and have a good old run around it can frighten animals even if it might not mean to.
0: Very much so we've had a lot of issues with cattle and that can be dangerous but this time of year in particular with lambing season even the most docile of dogs can scare catch or kill sheep if they're not under control or on a lead. Sheep don't cope with stressful situations and livestock worrying can lead to stress, injury um, and sadly abortion of lambs.
1: Children? Keep them on a lead as well?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just quite like to do that, I think. Keep my daughter on a lead. (laughs) Keep an eye on them and where they're going and try and make sure that they are with you. Younger children won't understand... The Countryside Code, Uh, one of the reasons why we have launched our resource pack for teachers and youth groups with LEAF is so that children start understanding the Countryside Code, but make sure that they are doing the same as you, so make sure that they stick into footpaths and make them aware of what the signs say so that um, they are hopefully following your lead.
1: And what about advice for farmers, Kath?
0: I think it's trying to remind the public engage with them wherever possible and explain the importance of sticking to public footpaths because of you producing the food and dangerous, heavy machinery, cattle, as well as the biodiversity and looking after wildlife, which sometimes the biodiversity issue, I think they understand
1: Mm. more
0: sadly, than the producing
1: food side. All right, Kath, thank you. Let's look forward to a busy and incident-free Easter. Those resource packs that she mentioned and the Countryside Code itself are both available on the CLA's website, cla.org.uk. To the fields we go now with our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. As mentioned, there's a bit of good news on urea and autumn manure application, which we'll hear about in a few minutes. First, agronomy morning Sean.
2: Yes, very good morning to you Steve funny old week of weather really, big serious frost, high winds that meant little or no spraying's been done, little or no top dressing either done in that wind but a little bit of drilling out there, that did get done, spring cereals, beans, sugar beet linseed all went in this week, little bit early and a bit cold for spring oats, spring oilseed rape and probably maize as you all know, although there were odd bits of spring oilseed rape going in too, particularly in areas of slug ravaged winter rape fields, starting with all seed rape then first flowers now pretty widespread apart from those really pigeon ravaged backward fields pollen beetle is now a beneficial on those flowering crops. the frosts in the early part of the week did kink some of the rape stems but as all seed rape has about 60% more buds than it ever turns into pods a couple of minus twos won't do an awful lot of harm trace element deficiencies do need dealing with though now to get out there and have a look we're seeing manganese magnesium zinc molybdenum all apparent if you look for it boron if you look at the stem and you see that ladder effect that's late stage boron so know your soil results know what you're looking at a protectant fungicide at around 20 pod set will cover things like botrytis grey moulds and by default sclerotinia but something like a strobe will deal with that but if you are finding as i am a bit of light leaf spot moving within these canopies you need to deal with that now with something a little bit more robust like prothiconazole the all seed rate crops i think look full of eastern promise and with Prices where they are, they really do want looking after, so attention to detail will be everything this year. Wheat starting to run into T1, growth stage 31, leaf 3 beginning to emerge now in those early September, the frothy drilling, but a lot of eye spot about, a lot of septoria, a bit of yellow rust. So do check your varieties because things like yellow rust may well disappear once the crop sets off and moves into stem extension and away from the seedling stage. Varieties like Insitor or Insider, however you want to pronounce that, Gleam, Lily, Skyscraper, they're all seven ratings for yellow rust, Wolverine's only a five, but then you get other varieties, very big, widely planted mainstream varieties like Saki, X-Days, Crispin, Cramium, all nines on the list, so as always yellow rust is an issue but septoria is your prime objective at t1 at leaf free emergence and these early drilled crops are only just really getting there so don't rush out and panic thinking anything drilled late october's there yet take a can of car spray paint enamel spray paint and spray a few plants the day that you go to spray the field with the fungicide that paint will stick to any leaf that's already emerged so you can always go back to those plants and have a look and see how close you were to actually timing it right a bit of fun but it does help understand leaf emergence it's all temperature based now filicron so you need around 80 growing day degrees to get one leaf to emerge so in temperatures like this that we're in amongst now with 11 or 12 degrees it can take 35 to 40 days for a leaf to come out Once we start to hit 20 degree days it takes 7 or 8 days. So this cold spell will really be holding things back. Plant growth regulators by the way, absolutely crucial too particularly on those frothy early drilled crops. Do speak to your advisor and make sure that you're covered and that you are still safe. I say that because I looked in some winter barley the other day. Bit of brown rust out there in some king's barn but also the flag leaf poking out and no T1's gone on yet. So do be safe and do check the growth stages very carefully to make sure that plant growth regulators are still safe to the crop bit of pea and bean weevil about on the winter beans there's not many spring ones up but the damage always looks far worse than it is so do be thoughtful and considerate to your beneficial friends and those little predators out there the main dose of nitrogen is going on to some of these earlier wheats now a lot of people out there top dressing as and when they can and you want about 75 80 percent of the total amount on by around growth stage 32 so do talk it out with your advisor and as we said last week try different things this year and make sure you're not overdoing the input so calculate your break-even ratio based upon the price you paid for the fertilizer for example 600 pounds a ton which seems very very cheap now doesn't it if you paid 600 pounds a ton that means you needed to cut back about 40 kilograms of nitrogen off the top end so that you're not wasting money sugar beet as well continues to emerge windy and frosty that means absolutely nothing of mine has been sprayed post em yet the weeds are very slow to come through anyway particularly the pollution Liganums, which need a bit of warmth. So do plan your attack and strike when the conditions improve. The farming program with our equipped Steel Stockholders,
1: Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham.
0: For all your steel needs, call their friendly
1: experts. And Sean you have a bit of good news for us I gather in terms of manure application in the autumn and the result of the recent urea consultation The
2: EA were proposing some pretty draconian restrictions on the use of manures as you all know last autumn so where we are today is in essence what the industry was calling for which was to allow the autumn use of all manure types but with suitable restrictions in order to protect the environment obviously and to allow us still to use autumn manure before we plant a spring crop again with the relevant restrictions in essence where we are today is all manure types can now still be applied in the autumn the high readily available manures like slurry poultry manure liquid digestate do have some rate restrictions during particular periods but those rate restrictions are not particularly prohibitive and repeat applications can be possible in some situations. but do take care with all of these things nvz regulations still apply like closed periods and field nitrogen limit of 250 kilograms of total nitrogen per hectare and in addition even if you're not in an NVZ it's not particularly desirable or or good agricultural practice to apply more than that anyway there's some guidance around phosphate applications to high phosphate soils that are included in the new guidance but this is guidance it's not legislation so it's classed as a consideration when you're planning your manure use so in essence as I say if possible at index three of phosphate avoid applying any more total phosphate than is going to be removed by the crop rotation between manure applications. So, RB209 will tell you that quite clearly. If you do apply manures in the autumn, there is a requirement for a green cover, which is a crop or a cover crop, to be established by the 15th of October. However, there are specific exceptions which relate to delayed drilling for blackgrass or to allow medium heavy soils to weather over winter before you put a, a spring crop in. So, it really revolves around the question of crop crop. crop and soil need for nitrogen but that is season-long nitrogen crop need not just autumn crop need so it's legitimate now and it always has been to apply manures before you put in a winter cereal crop. The EA have to follow this guidance when they inspect for the farming rules for water and these things are always open to interpretation by inspectors but the industry group which was set up and that we were a part of were very careful to raise exceptions to the rules many of which are now included in that guidance and also urea you might remember back in November 2020 DEFRA put out a consultation with around three options around solid urea used to reduce ammonia emissions their preferred route was an outright ban on the sale of solid urea in England so an industry consortium was formed including the AICC NIAB it was led by the NFU and that group proposed a fourth option which used urease inhibitors at certain times of the year for both solid and liquid UAN forms of urea And we had to show DEFRA the same future reduction in emissions compared to a solid urea ban. So option four has now been accepted by DEFRA which is great news for not just the industry but also the environment and it really is a win-win and I think DEFRA and the ministers do deserve some credit for going forward with the option four idea. Ultimately from the 1st of April 2024 only inhibited solid urea or UAN can be used after the 1st of April until the 14th of January. Uninhibited urea or or UAN can be used between the 15th of January which is the earliest NVZ nitrogen use date, and the 31st of March each year and that means that both uninhibited and inhibited urea are going to be in the market alongside ammonium nitrate now the cost of inhibition will vary somewhere around about 25 35 pounds a tonne so the rules are industry led but not legislation so they're going to be enforced by the Red tractor Crop Assurance Group and to be very very clear DEFRA have the option to bring in more legislation after 2025 if they feel that emission targets are not being met or if the rules are being flouted I appreciate that Red Tractor has some critics but its existence has really helped in this process so the rules do say that for UAN only a fax advisor can authorise the use of uninhibited UAN after the 31st of March and basically that's a situation where on the day of application the risk of ammonia release is very low, that sort of situation can be compromised therefore so urease inhibitors do vary in their effectiveness of course so pick the right one but these rules just call for an inhibitor but they don't specify a particular type or a list of products and many of those products also claim yield benefits basically because they've reduced the nitrogen loss to the air so more is available to the crop so niab did a huge study i understand comparing ammonium nitrate which doesn't volatilize ammonia and uninhibited urea and found no need to put on extra nitrogen to get the same yield from urea as ammonium nitrate but just because the urea was being used so a pretty good situation we find ourselves in we haven't lost urea and we are in a good position where it clearly shows that ministers are listening to those of us in this industry who put the proposals forward and are prepared to back up those proposals so good news all round, i think so on that bombshell it's good morning from me and let's see what the next seven days bring many thanks for that sean
1: the week in agriculture this is the farming program with steve orchard entries for britain's fittest farmer 2022 are now open definitely one for you sean qualifiers are in june and there's details online Uh, just search britain's fittest farmer i shall not be taking part you'll be delighted to know that will leave the field wide open Let's get this week's market reports now. Starting with livestock from Louth auctioneer
3: Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for Monday, the fourth of April. Starting with the prime cattle, which see prime steers top at one thousand five hundred ninety-one pounds for GS Paul of Burley Marsh. While in the pence per kilo section, they top for JS Brooks of Strubby at two hundred forty pence per kilo is top for GS Paul at 249 pence per kilo and gross £1,520 for JS Brooks of Strubby. Moving on to the sheep, starting with a few new season lambs which were on offer, seeing an SQQ of 314 pence per kilo with a top for RJ Bet of Yarbrough at 326 pence per kilo or £153 per head. Moving on to the prime hogs and a better show and plenty of meat on offer. Saw an SQQ average of two hundred and sixty-six point seven eight pence per kilo, with the top in the pence per kilo and the pounds per head section for G and DM Hauserm of Stickford at one hundred and fifty-two pounds per head or three hundred and forty-five pence. Moving on to the cool ewes and a better show forward. Saw an all-in average per head of one hundred and forty-six pound and six pence to top this week for T R and Fox of Market Raisin at two hundred and two pounds per head. Finally just a few store sheep on offer which saw ewes and lambs this week top at £60 uh, per life. Also a quick round up for our first spring special show and sale of suckle calves and store cattle which happened on Friday the 1st of April. Which saw the day's judge, Mr. David Nixon, find his champions in a super runner of from R. L. Ritchie and Son, which sold to a top of one thousand three hundred and twenty pounds. The day's lead-grossing steer price came from M. S. Strawson Limited of Aylesbury at one thousand four hundred and fifteen pounds, while the day's leading price heifer came from J. Hunt at one thousand three hundred and fifty pounds. With the day's leading price store bull coming from MF Strawson of Ailsby at £1,310 to leave the bulls averaging £1,030, the steers averaging £986, and the half is averaging £889. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week, and stock is required for all sales moving forward, whether that be new season lambs or prime cattle. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. And how have the grain markets
5: performed this week? Here's Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning Kit. Well good morning Steve. Another week and the conflict in the Ukraine is no nearer a resolution with conflicting reports over crop conditions, wheat harvest prospects and spring plantings. Damaged port installations is unclear with some reports saying that they have been destroyed including Odessa whilst others say they are still functional but inactive due to the export restrictions, mines and Russian blockades. It is difficult to envisage a return to normality anytime soon, with the London Marine insurers this week labelling the Russian-Ukrainian waters high risk, which will shift demand elsewhere. The EU Commission released their latest 2022-2023 supply and demand ideas this week, which forecast the EU exports of 40 million metric tonne, 33 million metric tonne in 2021, whilst dropping their maize imports to 9 million metric tonne. And in 2021-2022, they were 14 million metric tonnes. The EU will be go-to. Origin for wheat buyers in the early part of next season in the absence of the Black Sea supplies. EU soft wheat exports of 40 million metric tonne will be a challenge and will require production forecasts to deliver, which will not guarantee even the sharp increase in fertiliser and fuel costs. The US Wheat Crop Condition Report released this week revealed it was the worst since 1996 due to the ongoing drought, which is unlikely to result in trend yields. Canada needs moisture and does the US spring wheat area, which was lowered last week by the USDA's average report. Moisture is also needed in the Black Sea region and whilst Europe has received some welcome rains, more is needed going forward. So looking at moulting barley, apart from northern Denmark, Western Europe has finished spring plantings and in the UK, most have now emerged and look okay. Malting barley growers are now turning their attention to, in many cases, the first sales of the season at these historically high forward prices. Apart from the duration of the war, the extent of the potential losses in the Black Sea to the world's supply and demand is concentrating most minds. But whatever happens elsewhere, the UK will not be short of barley from harvest to Christmas, and we will have to export our surplus of malting barley and feed barley. Looking at all seed rate, volatility is here to stay for the foreseeable future. This week got off to a slow start, but then saw some early support from the firm Chicago and crude oil prices. Yet both old and new crop were dominated by demand. But with no one looking to sell much at all this week, it's been difficult to quantify the actual values. Old crop was very much give us an offer and the first-hand sellers struggled to get tight supplies. And new crop was supported by August and September with good demand. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for April is 278 to 283. May 280 to 287. July 303 to 310. And further forward, November new crop. 260 to 266 milling wheat premiums are currently 30 to 35 pounds feed barley april may 295 to 302 july 225 to 233 november 234 to 244 for malting barley premiums please speak to your open field farm business manager And lastly, oilseed rape, April and May, 798 to 805. July, 656 to 666. And November, 670 to 675.
1: Thanks as ever to Oliver and Kit, back same time next week. The Farming Programme. Five-Day Forecast. It's looking mostly dry but mostly cloudy and chilly this week. Not much rain to speak of after today and the winds stay fairly light and from the east or northeast all week in single figures MPH but in the teens tomorrow and Tuesday. Temperatures down to three or four Celsius overnight and topping out at 12 or 13 later in the week. Well that's it for this week on the Farming Programme. I'm heading off to Countryside Links at the Lincolnshire Showground now. If you're going, come along and say hello. Be nice to meet you. A little bit of good news before I go though for Tara Lee and organisers of other charity tractor runs the HMRC has confirmed that red diesel can be used in tractors being used for charitable purposes which is great news, bit of common sense at last. I'm Steve Orchard, until next week's farming programme 7 o'clock on Lynx FM whenever you want, on podcast, on the app or just ask your smart speaker to play the latest farming programme. Until then, have a great week.
0: The Farming Program, with
1: our steel
0: stockholders, with Ambrook Industrial Real Estate Grantham.
3: BSI ISO 9001 accredited.